Now, you know, I, I, I uh, was just so moved during that time of worship and uh, Michael and John, uh, thank y'all for the way y'all led us into communion today and Sarah, uh, so, so good. And, you know, I was just so moved by that song, you know, your way is better. Your way is better. I'll make room for you to do whatever you want to. Your way is better. That really does fit what we're talking about today. And, you know, I, I know there's so many times in my life, and I appreciate Michael's transparency today. You know, there's so many times in my life that I just, I just think I know, you know, what's best to do, what's right to do, and what's going to help me the most, you know, all those things. And, you know, I've been following the Lord for over 40 years now, and there's still so many times that I say my way is better, you know. And just that confession from the deep heart to say, your way is better. Your way is better. It's such a great lead in what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're beginning a new series this week, uh, The Four Pillars of Financial Strength. And uh, if you're here, a first-time guest, uh, I just want you to know, full disclosure, we're talking about money today. And right now, you're, you're poking somebody in the ribs going, see, I told you, churches are all about the money. And uh, I get that. I totally do. But I want you to know that here at FCC, we are incredibly passionate about this idea of bringing strength into your life. When you read your Bible, you read your New Testament over and over and over again, you read the Apostle Paul, you read Peter, you read Jesus, but especially Paul, he says, I want to bring strength into your life. And that's really the cry of our heart here at FCC, is to bring strength into your life. This world that we live in, it's a hard, hard place. It is a tough place. And we have to be people who are strong so that we can prevail against the forces that are at work to tear our lives down and tear our lives apart. And we do teach a series every year having to do with money to strengthen our lives financially. It's a new year, new thoughts, new ideas, new habits. We want to start. We all want to get stronger. We want to get stronger in our, in our bodies, in our health, in our decisions, our relationships, all those things we want to get stronger in. And a lot of us have probably made New Year's resolutions to do so. Gaining strength financially is such a great place to start to affect you in all of those areas. I don't know if you know this or not, but 37% of marital problems, according to research, derive from finances. That's the highest of all factors. One expert, one expert I read estimates that nine out of every 10 divorces in America <clears throat> are precipitated by financial stress. And doctors will tell you that most of the uh, doctor's visits are stress-related, and the number one cause of stress in most people's lives can be traced back to financial pressure. Patrick Morley is one of America's top, top speakers on the issues that are facing men, and he says the number one problem facing men today is debt pressure. So the average household in America has $103,000 of debt. And yet 90% of America's churches have no plan for helping people with their finances. And so we kind of have a plan here. Uh, we, we try to do something like this every year because we see how critical it is for you to be able to, and, and me, me too, by the way, for us to be able to grow together in this area. And so our title today is this, God Owns It All. God Owns It All. And I shamelessly took that title uh, from a guy named Ron Blue. I'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute. But if you are thinking about home groups, uh, that's where the title comes from. It's from the curriculum for our home groups in this coming year. 
Here's something we need to know. All right, every decision that you and I make is a spiritual decision. You cannot make a decision that doesn't have a spiritual component to it because every decision is based upon what we believe to be true. And what happens to us is as we go through life, we absorb our belief system from our family of origin, from teachers, from coaches, from friends, from the media, and now social media, et cetera, et cetera. Many of those beliefs can be very, very helpful. All of us learn things from our families. All of us learn things from school. All of us learn things from our friends that have been very helpful to us in life. But some of those things can also be very, very harmful and destructive. The greatest reservoir of truth is the Word of God. It's all true. Now, life is not just about learning new things. Life is also about unlearning some of the old things, some of the things we've been living by, the beliefs we've been living by all of our lives. And there's a key question every Christian has to answer in their lifetime, and it's the basis for all of life's decisions. And that question is this, who owns it? Who owns it? And I want you to take your Bible, go to the first page of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1. You know, we're talking about the most foundational principle of life, and so I think it's really kind of poetic that we would go to the foundational truth about mankind, Genesis chapter 1. What is the whole purpose of mankind? <clears throat> Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Sometimes people will tell me, hey, Les, you're a really creative person. The truth is that I have never created anything. All right, God has created everything, and all I can do is kind of manipulate and manage what he has placed in my care, all right? Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses, verse 14 says this, the heavens, indeed the highest heavens, belong to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. And I know that sounds kind of elementary, but it is, it is incredible for us to really begin to try to comprehend this truth. God claims comprehensive ownership over all of creation. And God's word states this incredible life principle to you and me over and over again throughout the Bible. Psalm 89.11 says, The heavens are yours, O Lord, and the earth is yours. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And look at this from Psalm chapter 50 up on your screen. I am God, your God. I do not need a bull from your household or goats from your sheepfolds. Every wild animal in the forest belongs to me as well as the cattle on a thousand hills. And look at this. I keep track of every bird in the hills for the world and all it contains <clears throat> belongs to me. So here's something I want you to think about. If God owns everything, that means you and I own nothing because the inverse is also true. We don't even own our own bodies the Bible says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You are dearly bought. He says, glorify God in your body and your spirit because they are God's. Isn't that incredible? So God claims comprehensive ownership over everything. And if you grab onto this principle that you own nothing, what you do is you set yourself on an important journey you will make decisions based on truth and on reality, and you will make decisions in your time, in your treasure, your talents, all those areas of your life that God is going to honor and bless 
and you will prosper. You will live your life in a way that God blesses. So Genesis chapter one, look at verse 26. At the end of all creation, it's the sixth day. And God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds over the air, the livestock of all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth, birds of the air, and the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath and life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. When I read this chapter, there are four principles that just leap off the page at me. The first one is this. It's the principle of similarity. Similarity. God said, let us make man in our image. Let us make man after our likeness. Now, God, when you see the word us there, it's, you know, all the angels in God's heavenly court, he said, let us make man in our image. And it can be kind of confusing there, but he's speaking on behalf of the mighty angels that surround him. And the Hebrew words here say that human beings, you and I, reflect two things, the form and the function of their creator. And so the mental and spiritual capacities that you and I have been granted allow us two awesome privileges. Number one is that we get to relate to God. Now, you know, I grew up Baptist. We talked about this all the time. God wants a relationship with us. Absolutely true. Something we don't talk about enough is that God has given us the capacity in his form and function to rule everything that he has made. Relationship and the rule. Psalm 115, 14. May the Lord cause you to flourish, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of, the heaven, of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. And so when you stop and think about this for a moment, there's a, there's a corner of God's creation that I have in my management, that in, under my purview, why? Because the form and the function of the creator are built into me. Number two, the significance, the principle of significance. He says, so that they may rule. The verb form here tells us there's a purpose that God has, and there was a result. It was God's purpose to give humankind his image, the result being that they can rule over his creation. And at the end of chapter one, you notice God says, it is very good. He looked at all that he had created and including man and woman, and he evaluated his plan for managing it, for caring for it. And he said, you know what? It's a good plan. That's really good. Man, you know, mark one off for me. I did a good job. And the architecture of God's design for stewardship, for managing, for caring, for creation it gives your life and mine tremendous significance. 
You know, I don't know where you might be today and, you know, how you feel about the significance or the importance of your life. But just look at this passage here and understand you're made in the image of God and that God has given you responsibility to care for and manage a part of his incredible creation. The importance of your life cannot be overstated. Your life matters to God, absolutely, but it also matters to the creation. Psalm chapter 8, David understood this. He said, when I look up at the heavens, the moon and the stars, of what importance is mankind that you should pay attention to them? You made them a little less than the heavenly beings. Remember God's heavenly court. You crowned mankind with honor and majesty, and you appoint them to rule over your creation. Don't ever make the mistake of minimizing who you are, where you are, or what you have. God took a stick and split an ocean with it. He took one stone to kill a giant, the world's first weapon of mass destruction. He took five loaves of bread from a little boy and he used it to feed 20,000 people, a small city. But what did all these people, Moses, David, and that little boy with his lunch, what did they all have in common? They took what little of God's creation they had to manage and to care for, and they said, God, it's all yours. It's all yours. You own it all. You own it all. You have the privileged status of being made in God's image. This gives you three things. Number one, it gives you the authority over part of God's creation. Number two, the responsibility to enlarge the potential of that part of God's creation. The parable of the talents. That's what that's all about. And number three, the capacity to unleash a part of God's creation for the glory of God. All Moses had, he worked for his father-in-law, his worldly possessions, that staff. He said, God, this staff is yours. And God used it mightily. David was a poor little shepherd boy. And there's this huge giant with all this armor. And by the way, you read the description of the armor that Goliath had on, it would have cost, in today's equivalent, millions of dollars. There were so many medals in there, et cetera, et cetera. And Dave had, David had only a stone and a sling. And yet God used those things. They were all granted dominion over part of the earth. Our bodies, our talents, our possessions, we have a mandate to take those things and manage them well. You know, my little sister and my cousin, they bought a home in Durango as a VRBO. And so I saw my sister this last week. I was down in Houston. And I, said, I said, how's it going? And I said, How, is it really hard keeping up with all the rentals? Like, yeah, people calling you all the time, like especially Christmas and spring break. People want to go skiing and things like that. And she said, oh, I don't lift a finger. She said, I have a management company who does everything for me. And I said, excuse me? She said, yeah, they mow the yard, they plow the driveway, they shovel the sidewalks, they clean the house, they book all the rentals, et cetera, et cetera. All we do is pay the mortgage. They do everything else. I was like, you're so lazy, you know? But there's a management company. God has established a management company here on his creation. Mankind is God's management company. And you are a part, I am a part of God's management team. And we have been tasked with managing the assets 
of the owner. Genesis chapter 2 says, God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Did you see that word there? Free. This is the very first time that word is used in the word of God. The word free. The tremendous privilege of freedom. We have the freedom to be good managers of God's creation under our care. We also have the freedom to be a lousy manager of God's creation under our care. The choice is ours. We can make a good decision. We can make the bad decision. But every decision is a spiritual decision. Bad decisions are the results of bad beliefs. Adam and Eve, later on in this story, they were deceived by the Spirit. They were told something that wasn't true, and they chose to believe it, and their world came crashing down. One of the most seductive lies the devil has for you and for me is this whole lie of ownership. You and I, we don't own anything. God owns it all, all right? I remember one time I was at a passion conference. Lou Giglio said, how many of you own a cell phone? Everybody raised their hand. And he said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He said, how many of you own a cell phone? About 75% of the hands still went back up. And he said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. How many of you own a cell phone? About 25% of the hands still went up. They were the kids from Texas A&M. You know, they were really having a hard time with this. Finally, he said, the earth, I'm sorry, Tony. <laughs> the earth is the Lord's, and Jared too, yeah. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And then only like one or two hands went up, you know, and that was probably me in the back, okay? Look at this, Luke chapter four. It says, the devil took Jesus up during his temptation in the wilderness, and he showed them all the kingdoms of mankind in just a flash, one, one version says. He said, I'll give you all this power and magnificence for it belongs to me and I can give it to anyone I please. He's either delusional or he's the deceptive. It is probably both, all right? It does not belong to him. It belongs to God. He cannot give it to anyone that he pleases, but that's part of his lie. God has endowed your life with tremendous significance. You say, I don't own very much. I don't do very much. I'm not very talented. But if you lay it at God's feet, Whatever you have, whatever you are, God can do so much with it. He just is looking for good managers, good stewards, caretakers of his creation. But what you don't want to happen is false beliefs to take root in your mind and deceive you into believing that you own the things that you have within you and the things that you, uh, quote, possess. The third one is this. It's the principle of strength. The principle of strength. Years ago, you know, I, I have a geology degree, so I love stories like this. I heard a story about a man. His name was Matt White. He's a minor league base, a pitcher in the minor leagues. And uh, he's having some success, but not very much. Kind of frustrating. He made a little bit of money. His aunt lived in Massachusetts. She was ailing. She was going to go into a nursing home. She needed money. And she said, Matt, would you please buy this piece of land that I own in the mountains of Western Massachusetts. I did not know there were mountains in Western Massachusetts, but as you can see, they're beautiful. They really are. It was 50 acres. So he decided, you know what? I'm going to build myself a house 
out here in the mountains of Western Massachusetts. He starts clearing the land and there's a rock ledge that's there. And it's a really pretty rock. And so he calls a friend of his who's a geologist and he says, what is this rock that's here? It's really pretty. And so they did a few, you know, looked around a little bit. It's a, it's a kind of a mica schist. It's called Goshen stone. And it turns out that Goshen stone is extremely uh, valuable in that it's used for large scale landscaping projects. So it's really popular at you know, Home Depot and, and Lowe's and things like that. And, and so he asked his geologist friend, like, hey, there's some way we can take a survey and find out how much of this I have. And so they did the survey and the Goshen stone is worth $100 a ton. And his geologist friend estimated that he had 24 million tons of Goshen stone on his 50 acres, which is an equivalent of 2.4 billion dollars that is there underneath that mountain. Now, what would most of us do? We would quit our failing baseball career. We would immediately open up a quarry and start quarrying out that Goshen stone. But that's not exactly what he did. He took out loans to launch a quarry, but he still wanted his baseball career. He was still clinging to that dream of maybe getting a chance to play in the major leagues. And so he asked his dad, who had worked in construction but had no experience in mining, to kind of take over and start a quarry. And he bought a bunch of equipment, borrowed a bunch of money, bought equipment. And he went on and he continued to pitch for the next six years in the minor leagues. And he kind of flamed out. He went to Japan. He went to Taiwan, doing all these things. In the meantime, his father, he sounded like he was a really good man, but he was just struggling getting a quarry off the ground, lots of physical labor. And then when Matt was available, he would come, but he had shoulder injuries from baseball, overusing his body, you know, things like that. And eventually his father had a heart attack, had to have quadruple bypass surgery. Matt had a blown out shoulder. They could not physically do the work to get a quarry off the ground. And he had to pay back the loans that he had taken out. And so he had to declare bankruptcy. And this $2.4 billion piece of land he sold, and he came out of it with $200,000. That's all. He could have had $2.4 billion, but he came out with $200,000. What is it? It's a story of untapped potential. Matt's property had incredible potential, but he was unable to bring it out. What if, what if he had left his failing baseball career and said, you know what? What an opportunity this is. I'm going to devote my full time to this Goshen stone underneath that piece of property I bought. Or what if he had immediately gone out and said, you know what, I don't know anything about quarry, neither is my dad. We're going to find somebody who does, and we're going to hire them to start a quarry for us. But he had an incredible opportunity, and he mismanaged it. Look at this phrase when God said, fill the earth and subdue it. You know, when you read the word subdue, when I read that word, I think it means to enslave or, or to conquer, something like that. Neither of those ideas, though, fit what the Bible is saying. The word subdue in the Hebrew is a word kavash, which means to bring something under your control so that it's an advantage to you or to harness something's potential and use that resource for your benefit. So when a farmer cultivates that's kavash. When a miner mines a piece of land, 
That's kavosh. When a cowboy breaks a horse, that's kavosh. He brings out the potential for his benefit. And I just have to ask you today, do you believe that you're maximizing the potential of the time, the talents, and the treasure that God has placed in your care? Are you subduing all that God has put in your care? It is a sin for you and I to poorly manage the sphere of management or stewardship that God has given to you and me. This is the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus said a landowner went far away. He left money or talents with three of his servants. The last servant just buried the money, didn't do anything with it, didn't try to bring out its potential. And the master said, take the money from this servant, give it to the one who has gained 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But for those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. You see, this is God's mandate for you and me as he's told us to care for his creation, to unleash its potential, to maximize its potential. God's desire is that you would get everything out of his creation that it has the potential to provide you. God wants to unleash what he has given you to manage, to cause you to flourish, to build strength into you, into your home, your relationships, your life, your finances. You have the freedom to flourish. The choice is yours. But the starting point, the starting point to stronger living is the idea, the conviction God owns it all. And the last one is the source principle. Look at verse 29 of Genesis 1 when God said, I give you. You see, there's nothing that I, quote, have that God did not decide first to give me. You know, just the fact that I'm up here right now speaking and talking, and I have all my notes here, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's a very, very humble gift. And I just, I, 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 you know, I'm up here doing it. And I get so nervous and it's so hard, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but God gave it. And that my source and my security is God. He owns it all. Lord, it's yours. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that has not been given to you? If God has given you everything, why do you have pride? Why do you act as if he did not give it to you? You see, if you put your security in anything that can be taken from you, you'll be insecure the rest of your life. If you put your security in your salary, you can lose your salary. If you put your security in your savings, your retirement plan, you can lose your savings. You can lose your retirement plan. Or if you're a little bit more like me, you, 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 put, your, you put your security in your health and maybe even in your, your strength, your ability to work, your strength can be taken from you. Deuteronomy 8, beware, Moses said, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall earnestly remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. That's so true. 
That is so true. You know, when you look around the world sometimes, you see other people who are kind of downtrodden, quote, down on their luck. Do you ever look at that and you say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have given me the ability, the opportunity to work, the skill to work, to gain. Why would God do something like that? You and I don't really own anything on this planet. It's just loaned to us while we are here. Whatever you have belongs to God. And like Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, after you die, he's going to loan it to somebody else, okay? Jeremiah 27.5, God says, I use my great power and strength to make this earth as well as the animals and the people who live on it. I give these things that I have made to anyone that I choose. You know, I say, well, why didn't God choose me for more? You know, <laughs> I wish God would have chosen me, you know, to get the $100,000 there or the $400,000 over here, you know. God gives it as he chooses, he says. And he always does it for his purpose. Perhaps God has a chance, has given you a chance to live in great faith. The problem most of us have isn't acknowledging that God owns the earth and everything in it. If you're like me, just being brutally honest, I don't mind saying, you know, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, unless we're talking about my earth, you know, my stuff. And it starts getting a lot harder. When I start thinking about my car, it's God's car, you know. Uh, you know, we had a road rally the other night, you know. I'm out driving my old Suburban, 250,000 miles. You know, I'm driving like a madman all around town, you know. And this group, group of junior high girls got in my Suburban. They go, drive, old man. I said, okay, whoa, we took off. <laughs> you know, and I was like, I hope my engine doesn't blow up, you know. But I was like, hey, it's God's Suburban. You know what? It's God's Suburban. So we had a great time. <laughs> if I'm being honest, I have trouble when I say that God, when I, it's easy to say God owns it all. A lot harder to say that God owns mine. That's a lot harder. It's much easier to think that the trees and the animals belong to God, but when God's ownership starts extending out to my stuff, quote, my possessions, it's a lot harder for me to accept. But we all have to make a massive mental shift at some point during our lifetime on this earth. We have to move from an ownership perspective that has been ingrained into us, it's been hammered into us all of our lives over to a stewardship perspective. From ownership to stewardship is a huge, huge mental leap, but we all have to make it. What is stewardship? I'll give you a definition before we go today. All that we are and all that we have comes from God. And he has entrusted it to us with the expectation that we will manage our gifts and resources for the accomplishment of his purposes. It's the real simple definition of what stewardship is. And if our money and resources are God's, that means that he cares what you and I do with those things. He cares what I do with my time. He cares what I do with my body. He cares what I do with my money. He cares what I do with my relationships. And so that means that we always consult him about our decisions. Every decision is a spiritual decision. And so we manage our time, we manage our money, we manage our health, we manage our relationship according 
to the revealed truth of the Word of God. In the weeks ahead, we're going to closely examine some time-tested, proven financial principles from the Word of God. But I do want to say, what I would love most for everybody, man, if you could be here the next three or four Sundays, that'd be great. But if you would join a home group and get one of these books in your hands by Ron Blue, Ron Blue is an incredible teacher, incredible teacher, has a huge impact on my life. He was kind of like before Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey took Ron Blue and made him cool, okay? But Ron Blue is amazing. And he has so many great and wise things to say about money and finances. And we're going to be studying this in our home groups. If you're not a part of a home group, I just want to encourage you. If you're like, I want to be the best steward, the best caretaker of God's creation that I can be, then please join a home group, get your hands on one of these books, and go through this in community, in fellowship with other believers. So, so key. Because life is all about settling the most important question that we have to settle. Is it mine or is it thine? <laughs> thine, O oh Lord. You know, uh, I've never played golf, I have to say. I've never played a game of golf, but I can tear it up on putt-putt. I just want you all to know, I'm pretty good at putt-putt. But a few years ago, we went to a school board convention, and uh, the architectural firm that was working on our schools, they, they took us to Top Golf, And... Uh, I've never really used a driver. You know, I've never done anything like that before. I was, I was really intimidated. I really was. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm breathtakingly insecure as well. And I call it being competitive, but that means you're very, very insecure, you know? And so uh, I was like five or six guys there, and, uh, and we start playing top golf. And, you know, you score. The longer you drive, you know, the better your score, you know, that kind of thing. And so, man, I, I grabbed this club, and I was like, man, I was just swinging that driver, man, as hard as I could. And, man, I was, just, I was slicing. It was going all over the place. And I remember something. I don't know where I heard this. I don't remember, but I heard somebody say one time, if you want to really do good on your driver, <clears throat> he said, you have to open your hands, which he means like, you know, very, very loosely grip the driver. Because if you hold on tight, you know, you're like squeezing it. All right, you're using your arms, but you're not really engaging your, your core and your legs. And, and uh, I have a really big core. <laughs> All right. And so I just kind of loosened up my grip, you know, and I, I kind of held onto it real lightly, came back, swung, crushed it. It was awesome and almost hit the net out there. It was amazing. And I was like, this is great. So I, again, I go up there and I just real loose. You know, everybody's like, well, that was amazing. Incredible change. So real loose grip, crushed it again, and I won. I won. I like six or seven. I've never driven a golf ball before, and I ended up winning that night. You know, like it's beginner's luck. I know, but I was crushing the ball. It's such a great feeling. It really was. And you know, being tight-fisted, it dooms your golf game before you ever begin. And the same thing is true when we're tight-fisted. Holding on, let's say this driver represents your, you know, your money, time, and your, your skills and your talents. You're holding on to it as tight as you can. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. Right? Look at what God says here in Deuteronomy chapter 15. I command you 
to open your hand. Open your hand. You know, when you and I are willing to hold on very, very loosely to the things that God owns, that he's given us to care for, that's when we really start to crush it. That's when we really start doing well. If you don't hold on to your things too tightly, you'll crush it. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you so much for uh, this beautiful congregation here today. And Father, I just want to thank you so much for all the things you've put into our care. Lord, as I look out across this amazing group of people, I see so many bright, beautiful faces with so many skills and talents. And Lord, just so much to care for. So many amazing things that you put out in, among us to, to steward. And so, Father, I just ask that you would just do a great work in all of our hearts, Lord, starting with me, just to be able to say, Lord, you own it all. You own it all. It's all yours. None of it's mine. It's all yours. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would do this work in our hearts. Lord, give us the grace to make that leap from ownership to stewardship. Because, Lord, we love you, and we do want to bless you and glorify you, but we want to be blessed by you. Lord, if there's somebody here who's holding on tightly to something that you have given them, something you've put into their care, Lord, I pray that you would reveal that to their heart today. And give them grace, Lord, to loosen their grip. We ask this of you today in your name, Jesus. Amen.